up, y'all, and welcome back to Found Bites, a game review series. My name is Brian, and I'll be your host. If you don't know about us, we're all about testing out and finding small, high-quality video games. This is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find the gems that may be worth your precious resources. If you're interested in reaching out or helping out, Feel free to email us at foundbytesgrs at gmail.com, tweet at foundbytesgrs, and also rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast feed you're using. Also, don't be afraid to leave some comments. If you're a developer who would like to participate in our Spotlight interview series of special episodes, please reach out through any of our channels. We would love to hear from you. But enough about the show. Let's get into our next game. Black Book is the game for this week's episode. Black Book is a deck-building RPG adventure game. Some comparable games. There's a lot of Bioware DNA in here, a lot of the Bioware mechanics. But in terms of just games, I would compare this to a couple GameCube games that came out that were sort of these deck-building card RPGs. Uh, One was called Lost Kingdoms, and the other was Baton Katos or Baton Katos. Bait and Kados was definitely more of a traditional JRPG. Black Book was originally released in August of 2021 on PC, Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. And then it came to Mac on October of 2021. The game was developed by Morteshka, which is a studio of about five people. And they're stationed over in Perm, Russia. So very interesting there to see a studio from Russia. And on their website, it says their goal is to make games that are mythology and ethnic-based narrative worlds. And I can tell you that this game certainly accomplishes that. Previously, they developed a game called The Moose Man. I have not heard of that. The game was published by Hype Train Digital, which is a small indie publisher that was founded in 2019. And they're based out of Cyprus. And I checked their website. I don't really recognize any of the games on there. But interestingly, I did not see Black Book on their website. DLC was released for the game in February of 2022 called Endless Battles, but it was only released on Steam, and I don't know if there are plans to release it on any console. The original MSRP of the game is $24.99 digitally. That DLC is being sold for $4.99, and there is a deluxe edition on Steam that has the DLC with the game, and I think it also has some other skins or goodies and a soundtrack for $39.99. Runtime of the game, to just beat the main quest and not really do anything else, you're looking at about 20 to 25 hours. But if you're going for everything, and I have been aiming to do so myself as I play through this game, you're going to be somewhere in the 30 to 35 even more. It does have a platinum trophy for our PlayStation listeners, and I think you can get that in one playthrough. I'm not sure. Me, I bought the game on PS4 on sale for $12.49, so half price. And I've put in about 8 to 10 hours. 
There are seven chapters in the game. I'm in the middle of the third chapter. I'm being super thorough with this game. In terms of recommendations, no one really shouted out this game. I had never heard of it. I just saw it on sale on PlayStation, and I was super into sort of the mythology and lore aspect of this, and I definitely can't resist a good deck-building RPG, so I dove in. talk gameplay for Black Book. So this game is one part adventure game, one part RPG, one part deck builder. And I gotta say they work pretty well synergistically. So let's start with just the general progression of the game. So you're gonna move forward in this game by doing missions. And some of these are gonna be story missions. So I already said there are seven chapters in this game, but it's not that there are seven missions. So it's gonna take multiple missions to complete a chapter. There's a lot of story elements that you have to go through. So some of your missions are going to be for the story. Some are going to be NPC related, which are referred to as loyalty quests. And some of these missions that you're going to go on might be side quests or at least might seem like they're side quests or kind of on the periphery of the story, but somehow they do link in. Some of these may be optional. The NPC related quests certainly are optional. It's not clear, like I said, with the side quests, if like you're just doing things to pass time or if what you're doing is actually moving the story along. But the game really encourages you to do things as they unfold, specifically the NPC-related quests. And they don't explicitly state that they're timed, but they really do encourage you to just do it when you see it because I think they say something like, you never know, you might miss your chance or something like that. So the way I've been playing is anytime one of these timed quests or NPC quests comes up, I just do it. So before you go on a mission, you're going to be in sort of this pre-mission hub, which is essentially your grandpa's house. And when you're at this hub, there are a bunch of things that you can do to sort of prep before you go on the mission. You can interact with NPCs that are kind of in your camp or with you, and you'll actually see them kind of sitting around the room as you sit there. You can see visitors that'll come in, and you can help them. You can respond to either their requests or what they're telling you. Sometimes the help that you can give them is immediate, like you can just answer a question for them or you can remove a curse or you can curse someone else who's really bothering them. Uh, There's a good variety of things that happen here. Some of these are going to be like long-term things. It may develop into an NPC or it may just be like sort of a side quest that keeps popping up and, you know, this random character just keeps coming in. You can assign tasks to your demons or chorts, as they're going to be called, and we'll talk about what that means. And you can fix your deck and any items to equip in your menu. So you can kind of fuddle around with strategy and stuff like that. But what is really good to note is you can actually do these things, fixing your deck and your items. You can do them at any time by accessing the menu. And so when you're ready to go, you're going to hit set off and you're setting off on your mission. And what you're going to see is the map screen. It's just going to be a map for this mission. And what it's going to look like is you'll just see black and it's kind of just like a a geographic map. And it's going to be a map of, like, locales, and so you're going to see trails. 
like the main trail that you're supposedly on is going to move up and then kind of sprout out like tree branches. And what you're going to see along this trail or these trails after they diverge is sort of points for you to go to, like stops along the way. And you're also going to see the overall goal or overall place that you need to get, which is like a bigger mark with like an exclamation point. So it's obvious like that's where you need to end up. So the way this works, though, is you can't just jump to the goal. You have to progress through the path. Now, you don't have to go everywhere. You just have to sort of unlock what's in front of you. So you go to a point on the path, and when you interact there, it'll unlock the next step or the next path that's open in front of you. And so this is where you can really do a lot of optional stuff because the paths do diverge, and there are a lot of optional places to go and interact with things. And like I said, I've been pretty thorough. I don't really see any reason not to. At these stopping points, there's a lot of different things that can happen, but most of the time you're going to go to the stopping point and you're going to look at like this picturesque scene. It might be of a house, it might be of a swamp, it might be of a village or something like that. And then words are going to come up and you're going to hear a narrator just kind of talk you through what you see as you're approaching it. And this is very D&D, like a crossroads, there's situations, there's dialogue choices. Uh, this is very similar to Banner Saga, which we've talked about before. And sometimes you'll be interacting with objects, you'll be interacting with locations or towns, and sometimes you'll be having dialogue with actual people. And when that happens, it's not just a picturesque scene anymore, you're going to see the dialogue box pop up, and then you'll see sort of these hand-drawn characters and sort of having reactions. Sometimes at these stops, uh, there'll also be merchants or shops, like there'll be a fair and there might be multiple shops. Also at some of these stopping points, you may come across these like mini little third person sandboxes where you're walking around in like a scene and you can interact with things you can talk with people you can pick up objects and it's pretty interesting how they throw this in uh, it really gets you to know like a certain scenario like especially if it's story based uh, just so you can walk around it kind of changes things up a little bit and so some of the results that can happen at these points or after you do your interactions or or dialogue sometimes these can be items Sometimes these can be money, and sometimes you can get experience. You could gain lore and information, sort of store it in the compendium, and in the dialogue box it will always tell you when, when you add something or when something comes to you. This is going to be very helpful for the future as like investigation tips or things to put in the back of your mind, but again, it will be written down in the compendium in the menu. Sometimes at these interactions there may be battles, or you may, through your conversation, initiate a battle. And we'll talk about what battles are and how they work in a little bit. But most of the time, you're going to be advancing the story or just progressing, like getting information at this point. And again, sometimes you can open optional areas. Like I said, you can diverge paths. Um, sometimes other waypoints will appear that weren't there before. So again, it's really good to explore all these options on the map. And sometimes you may acquire NPCs in your sort of party. Or you might acquire some of those demons that I said earlier that you're going to be kind of sending out to do tasks uh, that are called chorts. The majority of this game is going to be kind of slow-paced sleuthing. So there's a lot of investigating, and there's a lot of adding of intel to your journal, like I said, to that compendium. And what this is going to do is this is going to kind of open up dialogue choices or dialogue alternatives. And this is where the comparison with Bioware games is really, really big because this is very similar in like KOTOR and Mass Effect. You're opening up dialogue and 
you're getting like alternative solutions to different problems, or you are actually getting access to an NPC that you wouldn't have otherwise had if you didn't get intel or ask the right questions. I would say that it pays to be very thorough. I highly encourage you to do that if you're playing this game because I think it's very worth it. And there are some times where you're actually going to get quizzed like someone's going to ask you a question or an enemy that you might, you know, have a battle with before you battle, they might ask you like a riddle or something or if you solve a, a puzzle like then maybe you won't have to battle them or something like that. And so it really is useful to kind of pay attention. Again, you can access the menu at any point and sort of look through your compendium before you answer a question, so that's really good. Now, not everything is going to be spelled out. Like, if you get asked a question, it's not going to be, like, word for word in your compendium. What you can do is if you get quizzed in dialogue like that, you can actually hit a button that says Knowledge Ability. And basically what it'll do is it'll half the experience that you get for solving this question, but it'll give you more information. That's one of the ways to make things easier. I found that early on I was doing this a lot, but as I was getting through further and further... I just found myself paying attention more, like logically, and listening to dialogue, because not everything is going to be written down, again, explicitly in that journal. And even as you're going through normal dialogue, a word that you've already learned and written down in your journal or something is going to be highlighted in red. And you can, while the dialogue is on the screen, I think you can hold... I was holding the triangle button, and it was like popping up just a quick definition of the word. Really transparent here, but again, I think it really pays to be invested in this and just kind of learn along with it, because these are going to be words that you've probably never heard of before. I think they're in Russian, so when your goal is finally met, like when you get to that last point and everything is sort of resolved, you're going to automatically go back to the base, and then it's kind of a rinse and repeat. You know, you might have a, a dialogue with your grandfather or one of the NPCs based on what you discovered at the end of the mission. And then that might devise a new, you know, main story plan or like exposition for what you need to do next. All right, let's jump to the deck building aspect here. So this is going to be relevant to the battling. And as you're going through this world, you're going to collect various cards. And as you're first starting the game and you collect cards, they automatically get added to your deck. And you're going to get them from battle rewards. Like, as you win battles, you're actually going to be given a couple options of, like, which card you want to choose from the rewards. And then that card you get. You'll be able to buy cards from merchants. And actually, when you're at the base, you can buy cards, or they call them pages, at the main menu. Like, when you're looking at your cards and your deck and what you have, it'll show you, like ones that you have access to or ones that you've seen before and if you want i think you can buy more of them but they're only available to you if you've seen them before if you've collected them so you're getting cards and you're putting them in a deck and your deck fits a maximum of 33 cards i don't know if this maximum gets bigger again i'm halfway through the third chapter and i've leveled up a bunch but this has not changed so i think this might sit at 33 i don't mind that because I feel like if the max just keeps expanding, then the cards that you're putting in are just getting lost. The different cards that you're going to see, some are going to be black, some are going to be white, some of them are going to have a key in the top left corner, some of them are going to have like a scroll in the top left corner. And all these things matter because you can do certain combos depending on attributes that cards have. And so like I said, these are going to be relevant in your battles, and these are going to be turn-based battles. So what you're going to do is you're going to get dealt like a hand, and there are going to be a certain number of cards in your hand. And basically what you have at the top of the screen 
is like slots that you can fill on your turn. And these slots make up what's called the Zagavor, or like the phrase that you're going to compose that'll do your battle bidding. Initially, you can only fit two scrolls in one key in one turn. And these cards are going to do a variety of different things. Some of them are going to do damage to enemies. Some of them are going to shield you from damage on the next turn, like on the enemy's turn. And so there's going to be a lot of just doing damage versus protecting yourself. And this seems very simple, but what makes this complex is that there's full transparency with what everyone can do and what everyone is going to do next turn. And so you can look at different statuses of you and the enemy. You can see what's going to happen on the next turn, like what they're going to do, if they're going to attack, if they're going to do a special move, if they're going to call another enemy, if they're going to heal themselves, and you can see their health, and you can see how much damage they're going to do. So there's really all kinds of transparency here, and you can really take your time and strategize. And it's not just going to be like, oh, I'll do damage, or they're attacking, so I'm going to shield. Like You can combo it. And there's also going to be some advanced tactics like Waste and Curse. Waste essentially poisons the enemy. Curse lowers their strength. And there are some card synergies that you can really tap into. Like some of them are going to have things on it that says like well-versed. It'll up whatever it's going to do, whether it's damage or shield, by one for every other card that's the same color. And another thing is in battle, uh, you're going to see everyone's buff or debuff, and they're all going to function the same way which is when the turn is over, they always tick down by one, whether it's poison, whether it's regeneration, whether it's curse, anything like that. And so that sets a pretty standard flow for how these things are happening, and it makes it so that there's really no surprises. Again, everything is kind of transparent in there. One thing that you'll get are these NPC partners. Like I said, uh, there are quests that you can go on for your NPCs, but when you take them on your mission, and you can choose which one from the ones you have before you set out, basically you're taking them into battle, and they have specific abilities. And what happens is at any point in battle, like when it's your turn, you can choose to use your NPC's ability. But what's going to happen is there's a refresh rate on their ability. So like the one guy that you get pretty early on, he can do like five damage, but he can't take a turn again for another four turns or something like that. So you really have to strategize how you want to use that. And some of the NPC abilities aren't just straight attack. Like some of them do waste. Some of them do curse. Now, when you go on that loyalty quest for that NPC, what happens is their ability actually gets boosted after you complete their quest. Enemies in this game, most of them that you're going to see are demons. Other than that, there are some good variation in like story-specific ones or quest-specific enemies that you see. But for the demons, essentially like the random enemies, it's going to be the same types. There's like maybe three or four types that you see, and you're going to have similar tactics. And sometimes you'll have a one-on-one -on -one battle, sometimes you'll have three of them. And so some of the abilities that enemies have, they can attack you. They can do a special ability. It might be like inflict a status effect on you. Some of them are going to be able to call more enemies in. And it'll say, like, if you have an enemy like that, once you kill them, it kills the enemies they called in. Some of them are going to have, like, timed attacks. So they might have a really high attack power, but it'll have, like, a ticker above them with, like, a three. And so, like, it's going to take them three turns to attack, so you have time to strategize. There will be bosses. So some of these will be at the end of these story missions. Some of these will be optional that you'll just run into on a random path that you just went on that's not story-related. I found a couple of these. I really enjoy a lot of these fights. They take a bit longer because these enemies that are quote-unquote bosses have a lot of health. 
but I really like strategizing in these battles. You can like change up your deck, reform your deck, and try again. With these boss battles, there's going to be a lot of different gimmicks. You're going to see a lot of different enemy strategies. And so anytime I came across one of these, there was always like some new thing that was happening. And so I felt like it was always kind of fresh. You're also going to run into puzzle battles. And these are interesting because you're not going to have your deck. You're going to have like a pre-made deck with a lot of cards that you've never seen before. And there's going to be like a special time limit or like turn limit that you have to do this battle. And some of them like you can't get hit or something like that. And these are meant to be beat quickly so they don't linger like boss battles. You're also going to run into items and consumables uh, as rewards. A lot of these consumables are going to be herbs. And these are things that you're going to pick up sometimes when you're in those mini sandboxes. You can actually see the herbs sticking up. And so you can add them to your inventory. Sometimes you can buy these at different vendors. These can be used in battle and also outside of battle. So if after a battle, like you're pretty low on health, you can use a couple of these. But in battle, you can actually use a consumable once per turn. And these are going to be pretty varied in what they can do. Um, a lot of them are going to be just you gain health. Um, some might shield you for a turn. Some might boost your attack for a turn. There may be status buffs and debuffs. So some of these can be very useful in battle. Items that you can equip are interesting. You're going to have a couple open slots in the menu for your character where you can put sort of these passive items and they may give you buffs. Some of them might boost like your healing ability uh, on herbs and on the different cards in battle by a certain amount. Some might boost your max health. Some might start you off a battle with shields. It can be pretty interesting to have these. And again, you can find them as rewards or you can buy them. As you're going through the game, your character, Vasilisa, is going to progress. Uh, when you gain experience, eventually she will level up. And when she levels up, she gets like an ability point for like a skill tree, basically. And the skill trees are often just upgrades that you can choose from. Some of these are like level locked. Like you might not be able to choose one until you're a certain level. But a lot of these are going to be pretty cool upgrades. Like you can add an item slot. You can increase the attack of all of your cards by one or the shield of all of your cards by one different things like that as the story advances as you're doing these missions uh the actual book that you use it's called the black book where she does her sorceries because she is a witch that will level up and it increases the size of the zagavor or like how many scrolls you can play per turn or how many keys you can play per turn and you get access to different pages essentially what you're doing is in the story you're breaking the seal and this is pretty cool because you're going to get access to like higher level pages and now you're mixing lower level ones with higher level ones and so there's a lot of deck building there it reminds me a lot of like magic the gathering some other extras that you'll come across, like I said, you're gaining these demons along the way, these chorts. And this is kind of a story element because as a witch, like you're dealing with demons constantly and sometimes you have to take some of them on yourself. And so what you may have to do sometimes is assign them to tasks before you go out on a mission. And most of these tasks are going to be like basically to disturb other people or just get them out of your hair. When you send them on these missions or you assign them to these tasks, it tells you like how much time it's going they're going to spend there. So you can like stick somebody there for two days or three days. And then it'll show you how many rewards you'll get by putting them there. And this is something that you want to do because if you don't and you keep these chorts around you, they will have negative effects on you. So there's kind of a give and take there. But when you put them out there, one of the things that you will get as a reward, quote unquote, is this negative currency 
and it looks like a almost like an outline of a purple coffin. I don't quite know what this does, but apparently it affects like the ending of the game, like how much of it in your gameplay you get. And you'll constantly see opportunities to lose them, like even in dialogue choices, if you do something really good for someone, like it'll take some of that off of you. So it's kind of like a like a weight of conscience. Also an extra in this game, there is a card game, and it's actually an optional way that you can sometimes deal with situations, or instead of battling, you can play a card game. I gotta tell you, I played this card game a bunch of times, I have no idea how this game works, <laughs> but I somehow wind up winning. The game is pretty transparent about like what cards you can throw out. It's a little chaotic, it's almost like war. In terms of accessibility, like I said, you can access the menu at any time, whether it's info to answer questions or to change cards before a battle. Being able to restart a battle if you die is really nice. If you die to a battle multiple times, they'll give you the option to just skip the battle. I don't like doing that, but again, if it's if you're really struggling and you just want to move forward in the game, you can do that. And lastly, the save mechanics. These are interesting. There is an autosave anytime you go to a new location on the map, like in a mission. But you can manual save, but just so you know, whether you're loading an autosave or a manual save, it's going to bring you back to like the beginning of the interaction at that location when you're done a mission and you go back to the main the hub the house and you start doing different tasks or like messing with your cards in your book and then you save it you're gonna have to do all that over again because it's just gonna bring you back to the beginning of that scene where you come back to the house so just be aware of that what i would do for a save mechanic is like i'll finish up at an area and then i'll just go to another place on the map and then i'll just save it right away and then I'll like exit the game. So then I'll start back at the beginning of that scenario. Let's talk about the vibe of Black Book. So visually, this is a very dark game. There's a lot of black and dark colors, and you might expect that because this is, you know, thematically a very dark game. We're talking about witchcraft. We're talking about demons and, and mythology and stuff like that. When you're looking at dialogue happen and you see sort of these characters pop up, they're really nice hand-drawn characters. Again, this is very similar to Banner Saga as well. Other than that, the 3D models that you see of the characters, sometimes when you're out in the sandbox walking around, um, when you're sitting in the house at the hub at your grandfather's house, or when you're standing there in battle while you're looking at the demons, these are like really cel-shaded and blocky models and kind of lifeless. It reminds me a lot of the game Inside and sort of the character models there, but they do have really, really tiny eyes. You don't see these three models that often, but they're kind of like blocky and budgety. In terms of audio, I really like the music in this game. It's kind of minimal and ominous at the same time. There are some chimes, like some sound effects that use specific instruments that I feel like are really cool. And I would assume are probably pretty appropriate to like the cultural background. In terms of voice acting, I really like this. 
The voice acting in this game is very authentic. The actors are a bit rough around the edges, and sometimes it's a bit over the top with the characters. I really enjoy it. I enjoy anytime the like raw language is spoken. I believe it's Russian, and the word pronunciation. I really enjoy kind of hearing how things are pronounced. Which leads to the culture in general for this game. I really dig how much culture is in this. There's so much learning as the player. Like I said, most of the game is sleuthing and checking out the compendium. But you're looking at these words that are from another language and seeing how they're defined. Whether it's like idioms that you're hearing in the English language or in a Russian word. Or even just like tall tales or or stories with like, you know, very specific lessons and stuff like that. Um, So I really dig the lore and the mythology. I really, really dig this. I really enjoy learning about it. And I love that it's kind of a gameplay element to listen and pay attention and realize like, oh, demons that are, you know, house demons act this way or demons that inhabit an object or something like that. Or, you know, somebody who didn't do a sign of a cross or these type of demons like this type of offering. Just in terms of it being Slavic and and, and Russian, that's very refreshing and very unique. I feel like it's a very underrepresented cultural background or, or language in video games that you don't see often that stories are being told from. So very cool. All of that, mix it with witches and demons and curses. Like, this is an easy sell for me and for a lot of other people. Let's wrap up the conversation about Black Book. Love the setting, love the lore, love the mythos. Definitely a fan of witches and demons. Very cool stuff. Again, pretty refreshing. I really enjoyed learning. It's interesting as a gameplay element. I also liked using the knowledge. It really made me feel more engaged in this game and submerged in the world. Like I was playing a part, like I was doing the sleuthing. In the beginning of the game, I feel like lore and reading dialogue is pretty heavy. But as you progress through the game, I think you get enough under your belt where you feel like you're getting the hang of it and you're not, you know, adding 20 words at once to your vocabulary. I feel like in general the game can feel a bit long, especially in a chapter. And I feel like I would like to get through these chapters more quickly like not so many missions like it's like going out on five different missions just to advance through one chapter i get it in terms of advancing the story um, and i also get it because it is easy to keep playing this game i feel you come back from a mission and it's like well i have to you know go to the next area on the map to save it so maybe i'll just like do this little dialogue interaction oh maybe i'll go to this graveyard and see what's going on there and so i feel like it was very easy to just like oh let me keep playing let me do one more Even the battles, like some of them are tactical and pretty heavy tactical, but it's not so frequent. There's a lot of downtime, I feel, where you're just taking things in. And this is a fun deck-building strategy game. It's pretty engaging from a tactical standpoint. There are some quirks in the game. Like I said, the 3D models are a bit off, but you don't see them that much. Sometimes there'll be dialogue that the voice actor's saying, and it's like the exact opposite of what's written. So I found that a bit funny. I don't know if it's you know, a bit budget, but I think that sort of missing the mark on a couple things kind of adds to the charm of the game. In terms of value, 
this is great value for 15 and under maybe even 20 bucks i think this is a really fun game and it's very engaging i feel i i constantly feel pretty engaged in this game and i love the lore i love mythology and just the content in general definitely a good game i highly suggest it all right that's gonna wrap it up for this episode stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you Thank you.